Harold, I've got to ask, was that in a different key? Different feel. That was a little different than I remember that song. He didn't tell me what it was, so I guess I'm in the dark still, but that's okay. Jazz feel. Okay, that's what it was. All right, that was good. That was a song from my, my childhood. Many of you probably remember that from when you were kids and going home to church. And uh, what a great message that song has. Well, this morning we begin a series I've entitled Real Life. And over the next few weeks, what I want to do is to dig deep uh, into the book of Philippians. Though we're not really, it's not really a book study and there's going to be independent series of sermons. But if you remember this church was first established, uh, it was the first church established on European soil. If you know the story from the book of Acts, uh, Paul and his uh, compatriots uh, were ministering in what is today Western Turkey, and they had made plans to go a couple of different directions. And according to the book of Acts, the, the, the spirit of Jesus just said, no, you can't go there. You can't do that. You've got to go somewhere else. And in that moment, uh, he had a vision. He received what we often, as often commonly called the Macedonian call. And they crossed the Aegean Sea, uh, landed at a place uh, uh, called Samothrace, not that it matters. And they end up in Macedonia in a town called Philippi. And this is, in this place, they encountered uh, a woman named Lydia. We have a Sunday school class named after her. Uh, and here's a woman who uh, was apparently wealthy. Uh, she had converted to Judaism from pagan background. She was not from Philippi. She was from Asia Minor. She was a purveyor of purple. And you're thinking, is that a big deal? Yeah, that was like wealthy uh, and wealth back then. But she heard the gospel. She and her family, they received Jesus. They were baptized. And because of Paul and Silas's work in the area, they ended up in prison. It's always good to go to prison when you follow Jesus, right? And that's where they ended up at. And in that moment, the Holy Spirit broke into that place and Paul shared the gospel with the, the jailer and the jailer trusted Christ after the doors were thrown open and nobody ran away. And God was doing a work in that area and the first church in Europe was established right there at Philippi. Now this church held a very special place for Paul. He, he really had a, a warm spot in his heart. They were very supportive of his ministry there, in, not only in that area, but around the world. And he writes them a letter, and there's a lot of debate about where he wrote the letter from. I think the common theme for all of them is he was in prison. And I want you to catch that, because he was in prison when he writes this letter about joy. He uses the word joy, or a form of joy, 16 different times in just four quick chapters. You're thinking, if anybody in the world who couldn't have joy, who shouldn't have joy, is a guy who's imprisoned, and yet he writes about joy because of the relationship he had with him. And so as this letter opens, I want you to see five challenges that he gives uh, to the church that he loves and he cares for dearly. And the first one is right there in verses 3, 4, and 5. And he's, he, he says, engage with gospel partnership. Engaged in this partnership. As the passage opened, Paul's open uh, stops with a thankfulness and a prayer, and he says, man, I love you guys. Y'all are the first place where the gospel was established outside of the Middle East, outside of Asia Minor, outside of what we would call the, the biblical lands. And here was a people who received the message at Philippi. They grasped the gospel. They understood the transformational power of the gospel, and they began into a relationship with God and with Jesus but also with Paul. Look how he opens this section. He says, I thank my God. 
in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So, so what Paul understands is these people have just been radically transformed by the gospel. They were living a different way. They're living a different life. They've been transformed by the presence of the Holy Spirit. And, and, and the thought of these people in Paul's mind does not bring dread. It doesn't bring fear. It doesn't bring concern. Instead, it brings joyous thankfulness. You got people like that in your life? When you think about them, you just kind of go, Wow. Man, those are good folks. Paul will use this word, some a form of joy, 16 different times in just four chapters. And it, it was a people who had experienced the joy of the Lord. They had experienced it to the degree that it showed in their lives. And while they surely had certain issues they faced, just like we all do, and they needed to adjust things, just like we all do, they didn't really seem to have really serious issues at their church. They were faithful. They served the Lord. They loved one another. They live with joy. And to Paul, their partnership in gospel advance or gospel expansion affirmed their engaged relationship with God. They not only received the gospel, they were living the gospel, and they were living the gospel with joy. And when they came to mind in Paul, he just goes, man, those are, those are good folks. Those are great folks. They're doing good things. God's at work in their life. I'm thankful for them. Thank you for doing what you're doing. I, I think the first thought that I want you to grasp from this, this, this text is this, is engaging in godly service will bring great joy to our lives. Look at the context of where they're at and what God was doing in their lives. There's something about us as humans that we so easily get bored, we get distracted, don't we? We get sidetracked, we get restless, far too easy. It plays out in a lot of different ways, but I think the root of that issue is a discontent. But where does that discontent come from? From where does that discontent come? It comes from us focusing on the lesser things to the detriment of the greater things. What do you mean? How many of us live our lives without ever really experiencing the best things in life? We have a lot of good stuff. You know, I think most of us in, in our culture would say, well, I've got a lot of good things in my life. We've got a lot of good things. We've got, you know, health. We've got, relatively speaking, wealth. We've got uh, safe environments, safe cultures. We've got all kinds of good stuff in our life. But where do you really find the great things? It's not in the good, but in the great When we engage with Jesus, what he does is he'll say, I'm going to lead you to a place where you make a greater impact. You make a a greater service. And so I'm convinced that if you engage, if I engage in godly service, what we're going to find are the really great things in life. The great joy is found not in the mundane, not in the routine, though those things have to happen, but in what God has for us in particular. It's in those places I think the words that Paul wrote to the church at Rome kind of make sense, Romans 8.28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for the good, for those who are called according to his purpose. In those moments, as we see the hand of God in our life, when we understand his great purpose is coming along our life, we begin to find the great joy that he has for us and for each other. Paul had been a recipient of the support of the Philippians. It was financial support, yeah, but it was more than that. It was a prayer support. It was an emotional support. It was a social support system that they just, they just cared for him and he cared for them and they had a relationship together. You know, we all need people like that in our lives, don't we? People who stand with us when things are interesting. 
So first encouragement or word for them is to engage with a gospel partnership, which they were already doing. Second is to experience that steady progress. Look at verse 6. And this may be a verse that you may have memorized because many of us have. And it says this, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will what? Will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Now, flowing out of this partnership based on service and it's an experience, not of arrival, at least in this life, but of progress. You're going, I thought we were supposed to arrive. We do. But when? At the end. In this life, we're supposed to experience ongoing, continuous progress, sometimes fast, sometimes slow. Paul says, I am sure of this. He who began a good work in you, church at Philippi, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. His big idea is that while God has been the initiator of the gospel, he's not just going to initiate the gospel in their life. He's also going to draw them forward, call them forward, lead them forward, take them down the, wall, the road of progress and progression to, toward spiritual completion. See, God didn't save the Jews and pagans at Philippi to hold them in a holding pattern. He says, I'm saving you so that you can become part of the kingdom's work and you can get engaged in what God has for you and for us together. He saved them to lead them, to remake them, and to prepare them for eternity. And the good work he's talking about is that process of salvation. Think back to the moment you trusted Christ, if you've trusted Christ as Savior. How much did you understand about gospel, about kingdom, about Jesus, about his life for you? If you were like me, I didn't understand hardly anything. And as I've grown in my faith, what's happened? I've, I've learned some things. I've learned how some things work. I've learned how some things don't work. And I've learned a whole lot of things I don't really understand. You all with me? But there's progress along the way. He says, I am sure of this, that the one who started the work in you, church at Philippi, church at New Boston, is going to bring it to completion at the day of Christ. He's not going to save you to hold you. He's going to save you to transform you. He's going to save you to bring you along the road. He's going to save you to move you forward, to bring progress. And then one day, whenever that day comes, when this life is over, we get to experience eternity. I had a conversation with one of our dear saints this past week. And she was sharing with me. She says, Patrick, I am just absolutely convinced that whenever the time comes, I'm going to open my eyes and be in heaven with Jesus. And I was like, wow, that's what we're supposed to have. That progress in our life where we understand that God's at work. She, she didn't say she received perfection. God was still working. But here's the reality, friends. That's the way it's supposed to work. We're supposed to experience a steady progress. We're supposed to move forward to go from conversion to glorification and experience sanctification along the way. And the struggle for them may have been learning to live with that struggle. I don't know about you, but that's where the rubber meets the road, as the old preacher said. And letting God carry you through the holy struggle to the moments where he prunes and cuts back and convicts and changes to see progress along the way. Well, this leads me to this, this thought. I believe with all of my heart, my friends, that a daily crucifixion is necessary. You go, wait, 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 wait. I thought Jesus was once crucified for all. That's the I'm not talking about Jesus' crucifixion, friends. I'm talking about our crucifixion. You're going, what do you mean? I'm supposed to be crucified? 
Jesus died on the cross once for the sins of the redeemed. But listen to me, there's a process where we live out this life he purchased for us in that crucifixion whereby we have to learn to lay down our lives again and again and again. Romans 6, 6, we've already prayed it this morning, but I want you to see it again. It says this, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. In one sense, we've been crucified and it's done. Don't misunderstand. But in another sense, this ongoing process of growing and knowing and learning and experiencing progress is something that we have to make some decisions along the way that says, God, I want you more than I want me. We're thinking about this new joy. Jesus' work at the cross purchased for those who would redeem the son, uh, the death of the old man. But let me tell you something. If you hadn't noticed, the old man continues to show up every day, doesn't it? Now, ladies, I'm not talking about your husbands. Okay? I'm not talking about the old man showing up every day. I'm talking about the old person inside. You ever, you ever find yourself just all of a sudden just want to just go off and anger take over? That's the old man. You ever find yourself looking at that new car and going, oh, jealousy, covetousness. Y'all, am I the only one that struggles with that? See, the reality is we've got to every morning get up and say, God, I want to crucify the old man so the new man can in. I want to crucify the old woman, ladies, so that the new woman can live in me. The, that's where we find that progress. We find the, the work of God in our lives. And what we do instead is instead of taking the garbage out every day like we need to, we just keep on feeding the old man. We watch stuff that we shouldn't watch. We listen to stuff we shouldn't listen to. We go places we shouldn't go. We experience activities we shouldn't. And we go, why in the world isn't God's presence more prevalent in my life? Because we keep bringing trash into the life. We had a conversation with one of our children last night about TV and videos. About some of the stuff that's on children. Have have y'all watched? I know a lot of y'all watch children's TV. I understand. But you really ought to turn it on sometime and see some of the stuff that's coming out of Nick Jr. and Disney and some of the things that they are doing in those programs. You're going, wait a second. We need to be more cautious with our children. And we have a need to be more cautious with ourselves, to crucify ourselves, to crucify the old nature, to let the new nature have room to grow, to reject that old way. That's what Paul's calling them. I think that's a call for us. Third, he says, I want you to embrace with a holy passion. Now, you're going, so we're supposed to hug each other? And Haven't you heard of COVID? Yeah, I've heard of it. Listen, we're not talking about physically necessarily. We're talking about relationally. Look at verses 7 and 8. It is right, Paul says, for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you where? In my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Now Paul really opens up his heart. Can you see it here? Can you feel it? He says, man, I love you guys. I have a passion for you. I hold you where? In my head? No, in my heart. You're in my heart. He says to the people at Philippi, people... He rarely gets to see any longer because of his, his calling in ministry. He says, you are close to my heart. I care for you. These are people he doesn't see for years at a time. And when they get back together, it's like they've never been apart. You know those kind of experiences, those relationships? 
Paul had been the one that God used to bring the gospel to those folks at, at Philippi. And it affected him. It affected them. And, and what they had is what I call a, a holy passion for the things of God and the people of God. You know, I've, I've spoken to a number of folks over the last couple of years that have been out because of, of, of COVID and they come back and they go, man, I didn't realize how much I missed just being with God's people. That's part of that holy passion showing up. But notice the circumstances of Paul. Catch this. He makes it real plain here. He says, you are partakers with me of grace both where? In my imprisonment. And I personally think he was in prison at Caesarea. He could have been in prison at Rome or at Corinth. We're not sure. He's at one. I'm kind of convinced that a prison is a prison is a prison. It doesn't really matter where you are. If you're in prison, it ain't fun, okay? But he's in prison and he's, he's, he's going through a real struggle. and He's having a hard time. And he says, I have joy. We have what? Joy? How? In prison? How? How in the world can you have joy in the midst of prison? I want you to understand, he understood, understands that a principle that we need to grasp, that joy is not dependent on the circumstances of life, but on our connection with Jesus. Joy is not dependent on our circumstances of life, but on our connection with Jesus. If I tried to live my life based on my circumstances and find joy, I probably wouldn't find it near as often as I'd like. But because of my connection to Jesus, I can find joy. By choosing to follow God and relate positively to others at the Philippian church, Paul had found a holy passion in his life that was transformative in his life. So here's what I want you to see. As we love God and people, we find holy passion growing in us. Where do we find this passion? You say, well, I've got to find passion so I can love people. No, we've got to love people so we can find passion. The old preacher said, do right and you'll feel right. You know, most of us are passionate about things. I, we could have a conversation for a few minutes, and you'd, I would, you could probably discover what I'm passionate about, and I could pass, discover what you're passionate about. Some of us are passionate about sports. Man, you just talk statistics and numbers and all this all day long. Some uh, are, are, are focused on their family. I, I, that's probably me. I love talking about my kids. I love talking about my family. I, I mean, you get me started, y'all, you probably, you're going, well, we know, we've heard you talk about it. But I'm so excited about what God's doing in their lives. Others, it's, it's politics. I mean, it's just politics, politics, politics. Some, it's about power. Some, it's, I mean, the list could go on. But as a follower of Jesus, our prime passion must always be for the love of the Lord Jesus, to love Christ. Because as we love Christ, then we begin to experience his relationship. We begin to have this passion, and out of that begins to transform our lives. And when we have the passion of Jesus, we're able to love God, we're able to love people, and see him work in us. And instead of looking at around us and going, well, I see their faults, we see God at work in them. Instead of picking them apart because of their mistakes, we go, look at the victories they found. Instead of tearing them down, we do what? We lift them up going, man, look at what God is doing. Any of y'all remember Zig Ziglar? They talk about getting rid of stinking thinking. Y'all remember that? That's about all I remember from him. And I always thought he was kind of corny, to be honest with you. But I tell you what, he had some things true and right. 
is that we need to have a mind that's set not on the things of this earth and on the negativity and all the problems and all the issues. Let me tell you what. These problems and issues we deal with today have been here forever, and they will be here long after we're gone. Do you know that? There will be a whole new set of them. That's why the legislature goes back every year and makes new laws. They've got to fix the problems from the previous one. Do it again and again and again. I've always wondered why they, they can't just leave the laws alone. You ever wonder that, Gary? I know. It's crazy. It's like we've got to fix what they did last year. Well, let's fix it again. Let's fix it again. That's because the problems are always going to be here. So why do we focus on the problems and the negativity and the issues and the people? And this? Let's focus on Jesus. Because as we do, we're going to love God. We're going to love people. Paul told the Romans, do not be conformed to this world, this age, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. I think a big part of experiencing the love of God and the joy of Jesus is embracing the passion of God in our lives. Because the longer we stay mired in the filth of this world and the trash of this world, the longer and harder it becomes to find his joy. Fourth thing he says to him, I believe, is to expand through loving purity. He shifts from a thankfulness to a prayer here, but I think he's still talking to the group in general. That's why I want to stick it together here. But look at verses 9 and 10. It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. His prayer is real simple, isn't it? He says, I want your love to get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. You know, when you read the, the, the whole letter at Philippi, they didn't really have a lot of serious issues. You know, I think it was last week or two weeks ago, we looked at that passage from 1 Corinthians, and oh my goodness, that church had issues, right? Philippi, not so much. If they had any real issues, they had some people in the community accusing them of turning their back on worshiping Caesar, which, by the way, was true. There seems to be some heresy from outside, maybe some of those who are trying to say you've got to be Jewish to be Christian, but not much of that. And there does seem to be a little conflict between at least two ladies, as we'll get to later in the letter. But they don't have a lot of struggles. But just because they didn't have major issues didn't mean they had no need to press forward in growth. And purity. They needed to understand, and Paul was praying that they would have continued progress. He wants them to grow in, in knowledge and discernment. He wants them to move forward a greater sense of holiness in the presence of God. And while he was surely thankful for their partnership and connection to the past, he says, I want you to continue on that trajectory of knowing and loving God. See, the amazing thing about following Jesus, other than his call on our life, is that he uses us even though we're not complete. Did you catch that? He said, well, if we wait for all of us to be finished and complete in the Lord, what's gonna, what, nobody would do anything. He uses us in our fallen state, in our messed up world, in our issues and our struggles that we're still working through because he said, I'm going to take you and do something great out of you. The church at Philippi had some issues, but they were able to partake in the calling of God that was amazing. And what he had next for them. So what does that lead me to? Hmm. I think real joy is found here. When we move with God. What do you mean? When we move with God. I was thinking about the Bullingtons this morning. 
We say, well, they really are spiritual. They answered God's call and they went to Africa as missionaries. Isn't that amazing? It is amazing. Don't misunderstand. But it's no more amazing than your call to serve God right here in our community. It's just different. The, the joy, for, I remember talking with Brian. We, we had lunch back in the fall before they went back. And he says, he says we're just, we're, we, we, we're, we're, we're ready to go. We got another missionary couple who's waiting to go. They're in our mission house right now. Pray for uh, the Mitchells as they're waiting for freedom to go back into the country that we can't talk about uh, in public. But their heart is there. It's not that they don't like being here. They said, we just love you. These people, this church are so amazing. They're so wonderful. They're so giving. They're so this. But we really like to go back to, and I go, I know. That's because that's where God has you. That's where the joy is found is when you're doing the thing that he's called you to do as you find his movement in your life. I think one of the keys to find joy in the Lord is learning to be where he has for us next and being open for the next step in our life, whatever that is. Some of us, we're going to face illness real soon. Some of us are going to face health issues real soon. Some of us may face death in our families. Some of us may face face extended life in our families. Some of us may deal with poverty or plenty. Some of us may deal with heartbreak or great circumstances. But the one constant through it all is that God, for the child of God, leads us, doesn't he? Step by step by step. That's where we find the joy is in walking with him. He says he'll never leave us. Never forsake us, but he'll walk with us. He'll go through the high moments as well as the dark trials. And I suspect the big part of finding God's joy is not in looking at the circumstances around us, but at God. Paul was in prison. His circumstances were kind of ugly, but he saw joy. I think the words of Paul to the letter at Rome, says it best. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may, what, abound in hope. To be a person filled with hope. You know, it's so easy to get focused on the issue of the day, doesn't it? Whatever the issue of the day is. Do you remember what the issue was three months ago? Yeah, probably not. Remember what it was two weeks ago? Probably not. We get focused on that stuff right now because it's so important. But in a week, you're like, well, what, we were talking about. So what, we, what did we have? What was that about? It's just not that important. Our joy is found not when we hang out in the past, but we move with God. One more thing I want you to see, verse 11, is this, is that we are to explode with abiding praise. I had fun with alliteration this week, if y'all didn't notice. I just had a good time with words. Explode with abiding, abiding praise. Look at verse 11. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Finally, the process moves us forward where he just goes, man, that's where we're supposed to be. Yes! You go, well, I'm not very demonstrative. I'm not very uh, public like that. I'm more like this. Okay, then do it like this. Yes, Jesus, yes. That's what's supposed to well up within us, Right? Is this presence of joy and this praise that comes from us and they were the explosion that comes out of us. I think one of the unmistakable marks of a Christ follower in tune with Jesus is the presence of praise. Now listen, I'm not talking about the style of music. I've been in worship services where I didn't understand a word they said. But I experienced the presence of Jesus. I've been in places where I didn't care for the style of music. But I experienced the what? 
the presence of Jesus because it's not based on the externals. It's based on the internal relationship that I have with God. He says, look at this. I can sing, sing proficiently and expertly all day long without the praise of God. And I can sing off tune and still experience the presence of God and the praise of God. Aren't you glad? Some of you, aren't you glad? Amen. Paul's prayer for the church at Philippi is that they would expand the praise of God as they grew in the Lord. For out of this praise of the Lord would come a fruit of righteousness. He would transform and their life would be filled with his presence. You see, the church to whom he writes was in pretty good shape. But they had room to grow. Don't settle for where you are. Pursue the Lord with passion. And that leads me to this final application. Choose to praise God regardless of your circumstances. We maybe shouldn't have preached this back in the middle of pandemic, right? As they chose joy, this explosion of praise came. Let me tell you, this is not always an easy choice. I don't know about you. I got eyes. I can see circumstances. I can see issues. I can see problems. I can see all the stuff around me. Can't you? And it's so easy to take my eyes off of the Lord and look at that stuff. You know what I'm talking about? Things seem to be going haywire. Walls seem to be closing in. Prison dorms seem to have slammed shut. Choosing to praise God can become very difficult, and yet praising God always leads our hearts in the right direction. I must tell Jesus all of my troubles. You know, that song was written long before social media, but if you wrote it today, they wouldn't write it this way. I must tell Facebook all of my troubles. You know, you know what I'm talking about? Social media. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to pick on one of those books. Um, you flip through that stuff sometimes and you're going, oh my goodness, would you have told me that if we were in person? I hope not. I'm going to tell Jesus my problems. I want to praise Jesus through my issues. I want to praise Jesus regardless of the circumstances. I want to praise Jesus whatever I do. I want to praise Jesus in the midst of the storm, in the midst of the easy travel. Because praising God is always the right thing to do. Maybe we need to adopt the words of the psalmist. I love this psalm. He says, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in who? God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. You know, there comes a time when we have to decide, are we going to choose the joy of the Lord or the depression of the world? The joy of the Lord or the depression of the world? Which one do you want to have? I want the joy of the Lord. Because that's where I find strength and presence to live and have the life that God has for me. For those of us who know Jesus, I pray that we often choose the right path. And for those of you who don't know him yet, you can trust him now. That's simply saying, God, I want you in my life. I ask you to forgive me and to be my Savior. God has a work for you, a place for you. But we get to be the ones who choose joy or the world. Father, we pray right now for your hand to be in these few moments. We pray for those who maybe need to respond publicly, either 
for prayer, to come and altar and pray. We pray, God, that you'd give us just a, that freedom to do that. We pray that your hand would be in these moments. We thank you for loving us, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together and sing this song. You respond as God leads you.